Mark 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray together. Father, we look at your word and we see this command to love to love you, to love each other. And while we love love, it is oftentimes easier said than done. And so, Lord, I pray that today, more than anything, that we would be able to rest in your love for your people, Lord, that we would be able to look to Jesus and see what love truly is and that that love would not only comfort us, but empower transformation in our lives and bring transformation to the world as they encounter the love of their creator, God. I pray that you would teach us and lead this time in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2020, there was a story that came out of Cheyenne, Wyoming. A six-year-old boy named Bridger Walker stepped in between his little sister and an attacking dog. And the dog brutally mauled Bridger's face. He's got got scars that to this day he he talks about how he's, he's proud of. And yet he and his little sister survived. When asked why he did it, Bridger responded, if somebody had to die, I thought it should be me. can often be so concerned that our society is losing its ability to love. But stories like this and and, and many others that sometimes never hit the mainstream media help to repair my faith a little bit, help to repair my, my hope for humanity. Love isn't lost, but it feels like it's under attack. Feels like love in our society, love in our world has been under attack. Even the word love is under attack. There are so many different concepts of love, so many different definitions of love in our world. There's no guarantee that any one of us, two of us in this room share the same definition of love. But it's not just a difference in definition between one another. We're not even consistent with our own definitions of love. On any given day, I can use the word love to describe my relationship to my wife, to my kids, to this church, 
to my dog, and to coffee. I asked myself a terrifying question earlier this week. I said, what would I give up first, my dog or coffee? And I didn't know. And I realized at that moment, I was like, oh, wow, I have an unhealthy addiction to coffee. And then the Holy Spirit said, said, or you have an unhealthy relationship with your dog. I think both of those things might be true. It's been said that the more important a concept is to a culture, the more words there are to describe that thing. The indigenous people of Alaska have eight words for snow. The Greeks, the the language that the New Testament was originally written in, had four words for love. And we just have one. And I hope that doesn't mean we don't value it. But it kind of feels like we do. It's kind of ridiculous that the same word that defines my relationship with God and my family is the same word that describes my feeling of old, toward old Jim Carrey movies. I love them. They're amazing. Dumb and dumber. It's the best. Take stock of what you love. Think about the things that you love. Think about the ways that you use the word throughout the day. And then ask yourself, which of those things most compares to the love you have for God and for humankind? If we're not even consistent with our own definitions, our own understanding of love, how do we expect society to agree on what love is and to work together to loving one another and repairing the brokenness and broken relationships in this world? In our time today, we're not going to be able to define love for the whole world, but we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as brothers and sisters in God's household. We have a responsibility to seek an understanding of love together, and not only an understanding of love, but we have a responsibility to love. We have a responsibility to love God, to love one another. And so together we look to God's word. We look to God's word to learn from him how to love. And I pray that in our time today, we'll see that love is not a Christian luxury. Love isn't the icing on the cake. Love isn't like, I've got all these good things and now I can pursue love. Now that I've checked all of these boxes, now I can finally love. It's absolutely necessary. It's not a luxury. It's not, it's not the, the embellishment. It's not the decoration on a Christian life. It is the foundation, not just for obedience, but for our transformation of ourselves and the world around us. Love is the foundation of our relationship to God and our relationship to one another. In our text, Jesus has been getting no love from the religious and the political leaders. He's been challenged time and time again. Throughout Mark's gospel, he has been challenged over and over again by people who are trying to humiliate him, people who are trying to discredit him. He is constantly being attacked by them. But a scribe has been listening this whole time. 
There's been a, a scribe, an expert in God's law, has been listening this whole time and has been impressed by what Jesus has been saying. And so he comes to Jesus with his own question. He says, which commandment is most important of all? Now, in the Old Testament, not just the Old Testament, in the first five books of the Old Testament, which is commonly referred to in Jewish tradition as the Torah, the law, the first five books, all of it, not just Leviticus, right? Not just the individual Ten Commandments in Exodus or Deuteronomy, but the whole thing, Genesis through Deuteronomy, is known as the law, the Torah, the book of Moses, the Pentateuch. All of these are words to describe the same thing, the first five books of the Bible. And in those five books, there are 613 commandments, 613 individual commandments in those first five books. Now imagine trying to live obediently every day to 613 commandments. I imagine it's similar to the way my children have to live in my house. There might not be 613, but there are a lot. Don't hit your brother. Don't you know, jump on the couch, lift the toilet seat, all of these different things they have to live by. And it's got to be intimidating and overwhelming. So occasionally, Katie and I sit down and talk and go, okay, how do we summarize our law? (laughs) That's what the scribe is asking. Jesus, how summarize this for us? It was a question posed to many ancient rabbis. What is the heart of the law? What is most important? And so he comes to Jesus and asks him, out of the 613 individual commands, which is the most important? And Jesus says that love is what God's law is all about. If we would be faithful to keep all 613 laws, then our focus, our goal in life should be to love God and love others. This is why so often we come to our sons. I've got three boys and I say, just love each other. You don't need to focus on all of the knots. Just focus on what to do. Love one another, and then you won't do these things. This is the heart of God's law, to love God and love people. But in order for us to pursue love together, we still need to define what love is, because there are some wacky concepts of love in the world. We need to understand what love is as God understands what love is. And so I want us to step for a moment outside of our text so that we can understand the meaning of love in light of God's character revealed in Scripture. 1 John 4.8 says that God is love. We know this. There are many, there are many passages in the Bible that non-believers love to quote. I think the first one is Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged, right? The second one is this, God is love. God is love. But when many people say God is love, maybe some of you, you hear God is love. Oftentimes what we think is that love is God. Those are not the same thing. Saying God is love and love is God is not the same thing. To say that love is God means that our definition of love gets to define who God is. And then we walk out of this room with as many ideas of God as there are definitions of love. 
But to say that God is love means that God gets to define what love is. That love is defined not just by what God does, but by who God is. And so where does John, who's writing 1 John, where does he get this concept? This idea, it's, it's beautiful, it's comforting. We love this. God is love. But where does he get it? Does he just make it up? Is it, did he just did he hear it? Where, where did he read that? Well, it comes from an understanding that God's law, all 613 commands, reveal God's character. He gives his law to show his people what he is like so that they will follow him in his moral righteousness and uprightness and, and, and love and, and pursuit of, of people, uh, their, their hearts and their, their good. And so the 613 commands in the Old Testament, they reveal something about who God is. And so when we look at the law, we learn something about God. And so love is at the heart of the law. And so therefore, God is is love. John knew Jesus' teachings that the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. And so as he's reflecting on who God is, since that is the heart of the law and the law reveals God's character, then God is love. Before love is something that God commands, love is who God is. And therefore, love is what God does. To do anything else would be outside of his character. God cannot operate outside of his character. And so the very premise, the very fact that God is love means that everything he does is love. He cannot help but overflow love into the lives of his people. So if we want to know the meaning of love, we need to look at how God loves. There's a theologian named Scott McKnight who wrote a book about 20 years ago called Jesus Creed. We have it available uh, for purchase at our book table. I've learned a lot from Scott McKnight about what it means for God to be a loving God. I want to paraphrase some of his insights and kind of put them into my own words as is relevant for our context today as we understand what God's love means. First, God's love is about covenant. See, a covenant is a binding relationship between two parties, sealed with a sacrifice. A covenant is a legal agreement, but is very different from our concept of a contract. See, a contract is designed to protect two individuals. Right? Many of you have entered into business contracts, loan contracts, a variety of different contracts. And a contract protects two individuals. If you don't uphold your end of the bargain, then the other person is free from their end of the bargain. And you can go your separate ways after litigation and lawyer fees and all of those things. But a covenant is not designed to protect two individuals. A covenant is designed to protect one union. Both parties entering into a covenant are not entering the covenant to protect themselves. They're entering the covenant to protect the unity. Think of a marriage covenant. A marriage covenant is not, I'll do this if you do that. A marriage covenant is together we fight 
for this. We fight for union. We fight for unity. And so God's love is about covenant. He doesn't just offer compliments. He doesn't just say nice things about you. He gives himself to you. Like in a marriage covenant, it's not about giving somebody a ring. That ring is a symbol of you giving your entire life to that person. It's a picture of exchange. It's a, it's a parable. I like to say when I officiate weddings that the ring the groom wears is not the groom's ring. It's the bride's ring that she has given to him as a picture of her giving her life to him. And the ring that the bride wears is not her ring. It's the groom's ring that he has given to her as a picture of him giving his life to her. And so God's love is not just some nice thing that he gives. God's love, his covenantal love, is him giving himself to you, giving himself wholeheartedly to you, that God has promised himself to his people in covenant. The greatest thing that you will ever receive from God is God. It's the greatest thing God can ever give is the gift of himself. So God's love is about covenant, but God's covenant love is about presence. It's about being with his people. God doesn't just love us from afar. He longs to be with us. He made us to be with him in the garden. And even after sin entered the garden and the humans were expelled from the garden of Eden, God still demonstrates his desire to be present with his people in the tabernacle, constructing the tent in the wilderness where his presence would dwell in the midst of his people, Israel. And then again, once they enter the promised land, his desire for presence with his people is reflected in the temple, that that's where God's presence dwelled in his people. And then again, we see in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that he has come to dwell with his people. And then even after Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit to dwell within his people. God's love is always about presence. He longs to be with you. He doesn't just love you from afar. He is with you and within you through faith by the presence of the indwelling Spirit. Love is a commitment to walk with people through life no matter what comes. And God's love is not just a commitment. It's not just affectionate feelings towards you. It's about presence. But it's not just tagging along. It's an active presence. It's his, his covenant love that, that is present with us is about blessing. He's in our corner. He's not just with us so that he can keep an eye on us so that when we step out of line, he can smack us upside the head. He's in our corner. He's encouraging us. He's spurring us on. He's giving us power and gifts and love to, to walk with him and to receive from him, to be blessed by him. And, and ultimately, he desires our good. He desires good things for you, not just his presence to be with you, but he desires good things for you. Jesus tells the Pharisees that if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you? The Gospel of Luke says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to you? Again, because the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is the greatest thing that God can give. And so his presence is about blessing. He desires our good, specifically that we would be like him. 
Not only that we would be with him, but that we would be like him. God gives the law so that his people will live in light of the law. And if God's law reflects his character, then his people will put that character, that holiness, that goodness on display for the whole world to see that they will reflect God's character. They will be like him. They will live like him. And so God's love is about transformation. Think about someone you spend a lot of time with. A friend, a family member, a coworker, somebody that you enjoy and spend a lot of time with. And think about the inside jokes that start to form. Think about the phrases that you use that just you and that person understand. You start to speak like them. You can start to imitate them. Think of uh, after being married for years, you have these things that you share with your spouse, these little, in, whether they're inside jokes or just understandings. You start to, to your, your character, your, your personality, your sense of humor, all of these things start to rub off on one another and you become like the person. God's love is so powerful and transformative that we begin to look like him when we spend time with him. Our character begins to take shape around who he is. And so we become people who are committed to loving one another because God's committed to loving us. And we become people who are committed to loving one another by being with one another and doing good to one another as we seek to become like Jesus together. This is what love is. The love that we're called to, the love that we are commanded to, is a love for one another that is with one another, serves one another, blesses one another as we all together become like Jesus and manifest his love to the world. This is love. This is love as defined by the character of God. This is what we're called to. This is completely counter to the way the culture often approaches love. To love someone doesn't always mean to have affectionate feelings towards something. This is the difference between the idea of loving and being in love. So many relationships end because, well, I fell out of love for you. The feelings come and go. We don't have any control over our feelings. You can't muster up emotion. You can't muster up affection. I was having dinner with a wise brother from our church this week who reminded me that we don't have control all the time over our feelings. We can't control how we feel about something, but we can take responsibility for how we respond to those feelings. And so when Jesus tells us that the greatest commandments are to love God and love one another, he's not telling us better muster up those butterflies in your stomach and make it happen. Love is not a matter of affection only. It's a matter of action. It's a matter of doing something. It's a matter of acting, living out the love that you have. You may not have control over how you feel about someone, but you must take responsibility for loving them. It's not a matter of affection only. It's a matter of action. And this means that love comes at an incredible sacrifice. This is why the scribe says that loving God and loving your neighbor is greater than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. All of the sacrifices in the Old Testament sacrificial system, 
all of it combined, all of it added up together, love is greater. Because to offer a sacrifice in the temple requires you to give up, to lose an animal from your herd. But to love comes at the cost of your own life. To love somebody comes at the cost of your whole life. This passage that Jesus quotes is known as the Shema. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Shema just means hear, and it gets its name from the first word of this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This Shema, this prayer, this, this creed, was the the creed of of faithful Israel. A faithful Jewish person was to recite this creed every morning and every evening. It was a creed of devotion to the God of Israel to whom they owed their entire existence. And so God desires that we love him with all we are and all we do. Now, the All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's not offering four categories of I give God, you know, these things and then everything else I'm free to kind of give to everything else. To the understanding of those who would be reading this word, uh, these words, this was an all-encompassing of every aspect of our personhood our entire being, our whole essence comprised of heart, mind, soul, strength. Love God with all that you are and all that you do. And so reciting this command was pledging to do just that. It would it'd be a huge error to think that God is just asking for our souls and then everything else we can give to whomever we desire. No, God is asking for all of it. God is asking you to serve him, to love him, to be devoted to him with everything. And so loving God requires that we give him our entire being, not just our confession of faith, not just on Sundays, but every day and in every way. This is why Paul in Romans 12.1 can say, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That we walk around sacrificed. We walk around living, though sacrificed on the altar to God. He asks for our whole lives. To love God is to live in pursuit of his presence and his glory in every day and in every way, with every thought, with every love, with every action, with every belief, with every relationship, with every everything. We are to give it all to God. And this means that there will be things that you want to do that you will not do because of your commitment to love God. And this means that there will be things that you do not want to do, but will do because of your commitment and love for God. And it's not faking it. See, it doesn't mean that we fake it doesn't mean that I'm not feeling like it, so if I were to do it, I'd be faking it, so I'm not going to do it. Okay, we're not about faking it till you make it. Okay, this, it's not fake 
to love someone, to show love to someone, to show love to God, to show love to the person next to you. Imagine, imagine that, right, in a marriage. I don't feel loved by you right now. Well, I'm just not going to fake it. It's not going to go well. Don't say that. We're not asking to, we're not asked to fake it. It's not faking love for someone when you serve them in times that you don't feel like it. Who's ever woken up in the morning and gone, you know what I can't wait to do today? I can't wait to help that dude move. No one ever feels like helping someone move. You're not faking it, right? No one ever comes home from work and goes, can't wait to help my kids with that homework I don't understand. It's not faking it to do that, to to love your kids, to come alongside them, to come alongside someone you need when you're not particularly feeling like it. It's when we don't feel like it that that love means so much more, right? It's that, that test of love. No one ever says, I can't wait to go to this job that I hate or to a boss that doesn't appreciate me. We do it because We love those people that we're providing for by going to work and earning a living. It's not only loving, only when we feel like doing it. It's just as loving, perhaps even more loving, when we could do the selfish thing, but choose that person instead. It's not faking it. It's real love. In times we don't feel like it, It's when our love is being tested. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we love in word only or in all that we are with everything that God has given? Love is a sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice in pursuit of God's glory and also a sacrifice in the pursuit of the good of others. Jesus adds to this sacred Jewish creed, Not only to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, but then he adds to it Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 is a passage all about right relationships with one another. How to properly live in loving relationships with one another. And it's concluded with the command, love your neighbor as yourself. So loving someone else as we love ourselves, is a sacrifice because it means that we need to prioritize the needs of others. We live in such an individualistic society that we have forgotten that our good is tied to the corporate good. We've been taught that we need to go out, get ours, do what we love, go out and seek our glory, our fame, our good, our privilege, our luxury, our comforts, our everything else, that we can go out and make something of ourselves. And so all of our relationships are networking and what can this person offer me and what can this person do for me because I'm just on a mission for me. And so to love one another as ourselves means that we've got to not only like be taken down a notch, but we also have to build others up and prioritize the needs and the desires of those around us. We need to prioritize the needs of others. The person sitting next to you or the person sitting across the room from you or the person sitting in another church right now, they're 
hurts are just as valid as yours. Their needs are just as important as yours. Their joys are just as beautiful as yours. They deserve as much honor as you deserve. They deserve as much love as you deserve. They are just as beautiful and as precious in the eyes of God as you are. In the same way that you desire good things for yourself, in the same way that I want good things for myself, the way that I I want to pursue provision and opportunity, the way that we expect to be given the benefit of the doubt when we fail, we are to love people the same way that we love ourselves. The things that we feel that we are entitled to, we need to give to others. We need to give away. And this is difficult even when we like the person. It's difficult in a marriage. You love the person. I always like to say, you know, it's one thing to say, I would die for my spouse. I would lay my life on the line. If it's, if it's her or me, it's me. Every time, I will take the bullet. And then, like, I don't do the dishes, Or I complain when like the trash is filling up and I'm like, I'm just going to jam it down a little bit more so I don't have to take it outside. See, it sounds glorious to like once and for all in the ultimate sacrifice, I will lay my life down on the line, but I will not lay this 30 minutes, 30 seconds on the line because I want to go do this other thing instead. It's all about me, 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 me. This is just confession time. I'm selfish. It's difficult to do this when we like the person, but what about when we don't like the person? Like, what about when they're, when they're kind of awful and really, really difficult to give grace to? See, when Jesus is asked this question, um, Luke says that it's followed up with a, a question that someone says, well, then Jesus, who's my neighbor? Right? Who, if I have to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus follows up by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, Good Samaritan to Jewish ears is an oxymoron. It does not compute. It does not make sense. Samaritans were the enemy. And so loving our neighbor doesn't only mean being kind to people we like. It includes those we don't like. One of the greatest Christian ethics is not just love your neighbor as yourself. It's love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. See how love is not just something that we enjoy, but love can change the world. Love can absolutely change the world. The love of God in you and through you can bring the transformation to the world that we long to see because it actually has the ability to turn an enemy into a neighbor, into a friend. There's no other power, no other common interest that we can share that will transform an enemy into a friend. True story, in high school, there was uh, a guy who, uh, probably more guys, but one in particular that hated my guts. Um, lots of people that really didn't like me. Uh, I, was a ter- I was a terrible human being. It makes sense. Um, really didn't like me. A good friend of mine started, uh, we'd been friends for a while, started hanging out with him. 
Um, and so he's like, hey, Adam's a jerk. You should stop hanging out with Adam. And, and he was like, no, there's something going on. Like God's doing something in, in his life. And he said, I don't care what God's doing in his life. I will never be friends. Um, I could take a long time telling the story. I will fast forward. We were each other's best men in our weddings. No joke. Uh, and, uh, and, <laughs> and it was Jesus. Uh, here's another funny story that I didn't intend to tell. Uh, my, my friend gets married. I'm his best man. And um, I, I had met Jesus at the Reality College Ministry when Pastor Britt Merrick was the college pastor at Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. That's where I met Jesus. And so I've just always been in love with the, the Reality family, always, even before, you know, I was a pastor here. I, I've loved you and prayed for you um, forever. And, uh, and so my, my buddy Micah is getting married and Britt is officiating his wedding. And so Micah introduces me to Britt for the first time and says, uh, hey, Britt, this is my friend, Adam. Uh, he wants to be a pastor at Reality. And, um, and Britt was very kind to humor me. Uh, but uh, now here we are. Um, I don't know, Jesus. Um, Jesus does beautiful things. He can turn an enemy into a best man. He can. His love can do that. Love can change the world. The love of God can bring transformation to the most desperate, hopeless situations. To love our neighbor, even those that we don't like, means loving anyone and everyone that God puts into our path. Love is a sacrifice. A person who loves demonstrates a greater understanding of God's will and a greater intimacy with him than anyone who offers a sacrifice in the temple in the Old Testament and walks away unchanged. I love getting together on Sunday mornings. I love worshiping with the body of Christ. Reality Carp, you guys worship like no one I've ever heard. Churches love to, you know, start and end a, a service with worship. It's like the intro and the outro. You guys get here like arms raised already in church, just ready to go for it, ready to meet with the presence of God. And it's beautiful. I love worshiping with you every single Sunday. I love the way that you serve and show hospitality one, to one another. I love to, to see our volunteers on Sunday smiling a little extra behind their masks so when you walk in, you can see their eyes glowing, that they are happy to see you. They love that you're here. They love welcoming you into this place that God has made a home for us and inviting you to make it your home as well. But if we leave here, if we leave this place and do not love, if we leave here and are not continuing to delight in God or demonstrate our love for our neighbors, I don't think we understand what this means. I don't think we understand what God requires of us. Neither his law nor the work of Jesus permit you to just show up and attend a worship gathering and serve once a week and then call it good and walk away unchanged. But both God's law and the person and work of Jesus call us to love, to come here and to experience love and to leave here and to pour out God's love. 
We are to love everyone every day in every, with every ounce of our being. We are to be living sacrifices, laying our desires on the line to pursue the good, to pursue presence with that person, to pursue blessing with that person, to be in their corner, to desire good things for them, ultimately to see all of us together be transformed into the image of Jesus. This means that love as a sacrifice means that we don't just love from what's left over. We don't just love from what is in the margins. We give our lives. We give our best. We give our best to those around us. We give our best, not just in here or in the foyer, but at home and in the workplace and in the grocery store and in our families and our relationships. To love as we have been loved. The thing that makes this so challenging is not that we don't care about people. It's not even that we don't care about them enough. But if we give everything away, if I give my best away, then what's left for me? Some of you are feeling that right now. You're feeling the weight of this command to love. It's too much. It's too big. If I do this, what then is left for me? We're limited. We've got limited resources, limited capacity. Even all the affection in the world, all that we can muster up, all of the goodwill in all of the world will not solve this problem. We're limited and that's just who we are. We don't need more affection. We need supernatural power. And the good news is that God not only provides the pattern for our love, he provides the power for our love. We will never be able to love as God commands until we receive the love that God gives. If we're out there just trying to do, just trying to to give love to people, but are not receiving the love that God himself has poured out on us, we will end up empty. Many of you have found yourselves in that situation. You've had the desire to love. You've tried to show love, but then in your time of need, there was nothing left for you. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Maybe you have felt in your life at times like you're carrying around love in a bucket. And every time someone comes into your path, you're you're dipping into that bucket a little bit more and you're handing out love, you're passing out love, you're, you're, you're loving people as you have capacity, and you found that that bucket is just running low. This verse, this passage, Romans 5, 5, that God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, means that God's love is like a fire hose aimed right into that bucket. That you are being filled as you overflow. That the love with which you, you give to other people is only there because it's being poured into you at an infinite supply. The Holy Spirit, the infinite 
uh, power and presence of the God of the universe has been poured into our hearts and is overflowing. God is not asking you to love with whatever you can bring to the table. He's asking you to love others with the love that he has poured out into your hearts. You will never run dry. Trust that it's there. Love the people next to you and you will find that God has supplied the necessary love. You are never in short supply. You have all the love you will ever need in Jesus. Love is the fulfillment of the law and Jesus has loved you perfectly. He doesn't just have affectionate feelings toward you. At the same time, you do need to know he has affectionate feelings toward you, that he loves you, that he delights in you, that he longs to spend time with you, that he sings over you. Scripture says in Zephaniah chapter 3 that God exalts over you with loud singing. He's just making up love songs every time he thinks of you. He does have affectionate feelings towards you, but he offered himself as a sacrifice for you. Not just in his death, but in his life. Every day, in every way, with every breath that he took, everything that he did while he lived, he fulfilled God's law of love perfectly, putting on full display that God truly is love. He loves you. And in his death, he made a covenant with us, right? God's love is about covenant and presence and blessing and transformation. And he made a covenant with us like a marriage covenant. Jesus has bound himself to you. You have been united to him by the Holy Spirit. He loves you. He's promised himself to you. And he's given us his Holy Spirit, those who believe, and he empowers us to love beyond our ability. The Spirit is the presence of the infinite God, the God of the universe, overflowing these finite buckets of our bodies, spilling out of us all the love that you will ever need to receive. You have in Jesus. He loves you not just to make you feel good about yourself, not just to comfort you, not even to show you the way to love others, but to empower you so that you can love others with the love of God himself. He loves you, honestly, he loves you so that you can be loved. Can't make ourselves lovable. but we are lovable because we are loved. It is God's love that makes us who we are. Often the reason we have a hard time receiving God's love is because we feel that we don't deserve it. You know all the reasons in your life that you do not deserve this kind of love. But God doesn't love people because we deserve it. He loves because it's who he is. And because his love is contingent upon his very nature, you can take it to the bank. You can count on it because God never changes. If God is love and God never changes and you are loved, then his love for you will never change. That means there is nothing that you can do. Think about it. This is based in God's character. This isn't based in you. 
There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. There is nothing that you can do that can make God love you more. His love is perfect. His love is constant. His love is consistent. His love doesn't change. And if he has chosen to lavish his love upon you, then you can know tomorrow, no matter what comes, next year, no matter what comes, no matter what you did last week, no matter what you did this morning, no matter what you did years ago that nobody knows about, you can take it to the bank and be convinced and and, and hold fast to the truth that God loves you because he can't do otherwise. It's not in his nature. It's not in his character. All he does and all that he is is love and he's proved it on the cross. He's proved it not only by asking you to sacrifice for him because he loves you, but by laying down his own life for you. He has proved it on the cross. He loves you time and time and time again and it will never change. Because God never changes. You can be confident in this. And I know, I know it. You're wrestling in your mind right now. Some of you are sitting there going, this can't be true. This sounds too good to be true. I've heard this before. I've tried it before. It didn't work for me. I'm not asking you to grapple with it intellectually. I'm asking you to receive it and experience and know to taste and see that the Lord is good and that his love is true and sure. And it will never not be. It'll never not be love. God will never not be God and you will never not be loved by him. He has proven what he is willing to do by going to the cross and the sign that we have truly received the love of God into our lives is our willingness to pour love out into the lives of others, to love them as we ourselves have been loved, to resist this or to withhold our love shows that we have not truly understand understood what we have received from God. But when we love those around us with reckless abandon, we show the world how beautiful and how powerful the love of God is. We demonstrate that it's not only has it not only has the power to change us, but it's power to transform the world. To know these things, to know these things to be true even to believe these things to be true, is to be like the scribe in this passage. He understands that love was more valuable than sacrifice. And Jesus says that he's not far from the kingdom of God. We never find out if this scribe enters the kingdom of God. It just kind of ends. It's inviting us to consider Where are we in relationship to the kingdom of God? What was keeping that scribe from the kingdom? Maybe you also know these things to be true. There are lots of people who believe that love is the key to world peace, that all we need is is love to fix this world. In fact, 613 times, remember the number of commandments? 613 times, the Beatles reference the word love in their songs. All we need is love. Love, love. Like it's all, you know, I used, to, I used to not like the Beatles because I thought they only played cheesy love songs until I listened to the stuff that was never on the radio. The world knows, like, we need love. 
Also, I think it's a total coincidence that there's 613 references to Love and Beatles songs. I don't think they're trying to say anything by that. We know that we need love. And like the scribe in this passage, there are those of us who are not far from the kingdom of God. But what's missing? What's missing? The same thing that the scribe lacks is the same thing that many of us lack today. It's the cross. If this scribe would continue following Jesus, continue listening to Jesus, then he would eventually see what love truly is. Whether you are here because you know the love of Jesus or because you want to know it, you're on the right track. You are not far from the kingdom of God. If you continue to follow Jesus and experience his love for you and, 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 and seek his presence and look to the cross, you will see his love poured out for you. Like that six-year-old boy from Cheyenne, Wyoming, Jesus said, if someone has to die, he saw the ravages of sin running at the one he loved. And he said, if it's going to take anyone out, if someone has to die, Jesus was pleased for it to be him instead of us. He stepped in the path, took the full wrath that our sin deserved so that we could know the life and the love of God. For those of you who know the love of God in Christ Jesus, then you are most blessed, not only resting in that love today, but overflowing, allowing that love to overflow from you and into the world around you. Because this world is losing its ability to love. It's losing its desire to love. But as, an, as a church, we are invited to show the way, to put the full love of Jesus Christ on full display. And we do that by loving God, by delighting in him. We do that by loving one another, not just those of us in this room, but everybody outside of this room, regardless of what they believe or what they do. We are bound to a commitment to delight in God, to declare the good news of Jesus, that he loves them, and then to put that on display by demonstrating his love in the way we love people. That is what we are called to, not just as Christians. But that is what God has called us, Reality Carpinteria, to. To put the love and the beauty of God on display in this town, in the coastlands, and in the nation. To show that because of his love, because of his beauty, because of what he has done, Jesus truly is our greatest treasure. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just, we say thank you. God, we don't deserve what you've done for us, but you've done for us what you desired to do because you love us. And Lord, in the, in the depth of my depravity, in, in all of my error, God, sometimes it's hard to rest in that. But I choose, God, we choose as your people, we choose to believe your word over the lies of the enemy. We choose to believe your word. God, over the inclinations of our hearts that would condemn us or shame us. Lord, we choose to believe the cross. 
that on the cross, the, the judgment for our sin, but also love for us is put on display. And we, by it, Lord, we are forgiven. We are saved. God, for those who are feeling particularly unloved and unlovable today, pray you would pour your spirit out on them and they would experience the love of their Father in heaven being poured out into their hearts. Lord, not just for comfort, but for our transformation. God, make us like you. Make us love like you love. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.